Chapter 19 The Reclaimer Elias piloted the brass fox along the cliff face they had brushed earlier in a weak attempt to hide in the cloudless sky. Did anyone follow you through House Pass? A collective ship followed us, Rass said. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Great, even, Elias said. I never thought I'd be thanking the collective. Why did Hal want the gate opened? Rass asked. Venting Atmo of excess energy? Levels would get so low that they'd have to pull the winnower off the origin so cities wouldn't fall. No offense, but I think you're giving the collective too much credit, Rass said. They pulled out of the bowl when I lost us our last convergence, Elias grimaced. Well, if they're going to control time, they're going to need to release their grip on energy, and the elders aren't giving that up without a fight. Wait, wouldn't opening the gate flood Atmo with elders? We have the great overload, they have the great, well, I don't know what they call it, but instead of energy knacks blowing up into convergences, time knacks froze cities. Most of the Elorians became stuck in time after the main gate was built, so they shouldn't have forces to subjugate Atmo anymore. The only elders left are the ones in the ships that were flying high enough to miss out on the freezings. Their third-generation military is basically all that's left, but they should be able to keep the Collective away from controlling the time origin. Dad, things have changed since you've been gone. The Collective developed some sort of energy weapon. Sounds like they're asking for another great overload. Is it like an energy-filled cannonball or something? Elias asked. It's a beam of some sort. Disintegrates ships. They're going to rip through what's left of Aloria, and the elders have Cali, Rass said, running his hands through his hair until his fingers became tangled in the knots. Even if the Collective winds up controlling time, I can't let them go through Cali to do it, and I have no clue where she is. Elias looked at his son. I guess the old plan ain't what it used to be. If you want to find a way back to see Mom again, I understand, Rass said. Verdant sunk no matter what, and I'm sure she could use some help. His father leaned against the dash, deep in thought for longer than Rass expected. He had always imagined his father to be quick with a plan and bold in its execution, and Rass worked hard not to feel disappointed as he waited. Why didn't you tell me I was a lack? Rass said, breaking the silence. Rass, don't call yourself that, Elias said. How hard would it have been to tell me? Rass asked. Maybe you could have had Mom do it if you didn't want to. She didn't know what you, or she, could do to someone, Elias said. I never told her. Well, she certainly seemed to have a good idea, Rass said. Did you know that Mom was a lack? Could stop you from overloading? Elias nodded. Just about anyone from below the clouds can. Rass opened his mouth to speak, but no words came to him. There's a reason your mother never talked much about her family. You're telling me mom is a remnant? Elias sighed, wiping his hands across his tired face. Please tell me you never used that word around your mother. I never let you say it before. Rass had forgotten how sternly his father used to reprimand him as a child when he repeated that word after hearing it from schoolmates. But you're saying mom's from below the clouds. I am. Rass laughed. What's so funny? Nothing. It's just all those times I've been called son of a rip. He cut himself off. Why didn't you tell me? The way people in Atmo treated those that were forced to stay behind like they were better than them, Elias said. The Atmo project could only bring on so many, and the more people they brought, the shorter the amount of time before the floating cities became overpopulated. It's a different world down there. How do they survive? Well, one of the criteria for being moved to the Atmo project was energy sensitivity, so the ones left behind were obviously less at a risk to blow up. After a few generations, the ones that had low sensitivity survived, had children, and I guess living so closely to convergences eventually built up their immunity. And the Collective has avoided them. I'm probably the first one they studied, Rass said. Probably, said Elias. Someday I'll have to tell you how your mother and I actually met. Off in the distance, a ragtag fleet filtered into the wild through the main pass, well beneath the Elorian fleet, maintaining a healthy gap. Mixed in with airships bearing the Collective's insignia were maroon and black-painted vessels, making the fleet look about as far from uniform as one could expect of the biggest force in Atmo. 
The Dauntless brought up the rear, dwarfing the rest of the vessels. What is Bravo Company doing here? Elias asked. Hal thinks they're just another arm of the Collective, Rass said, and right now I'm not inclined to disagree. I guess they didn't want to risk the Halifax. They don't have the Halifax to risk. Callie sank it. Sort of, Rass said with a shrug. You're gonna have to tell me about that one later, Elias said. Looks like the war's about to start. He brought the brass fox to an idol and tapped the fuel gauge. We can't afford to fly blindly, he said. They probably took Callie higher than we can climb. Rass left the bridge and began descending the stairs to the deck. Where are you going? Elias asked. Well, I promised her I would keep her safe, so I'm staying here to find Callie so you can get back home and I won't waste fuel. How? I'm taking the jet cycle, Rass said. Mom let you buy a jet cycle? Elias asked before receiving a look from his grown son. Rass began climbing down into the hold but stopped before disappearing entirely from Elias's view. You accomplished your mission. Maybe Hal will pay for Verdant's engines for that. Erasmus Veer, Elias said, making Rass feel ten again. Not fifteen minutes ago, I was reconciling myself to the idea of never seeing you or your mother again. What would I say if I came back without you? Rass returned to the deck, standing tall. Mom needed you, not me. Verdant needs you, not me. All of Atmo, for that matter, he said, sweeping his arm around. If I hadn't led the Collective here, this war wouldn't be happening, and I think we can all agree that either side winning that war means Atmo loses. I have one chance, however small, to make a difference to one person, who wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. And whether the Collective freezes us all or the Elders rip apart Atmo, I owe it to her to try. The two men stared at each other for a long moment. Tell Mom I love her, said Rass, turning to climb down to the hold. Rass. What? I'm proud of you, Elias said, tossing his son the grapple gun. Dad? Yes? Incoming. Rass pointed to two collective gunships in the distance as they opened fire. Hang on to something. Elias brought the ship into a dive along the cliff wall. Shots blasted into the rock face, raining debris onto the brass fox's balloon and deck. The brass fox had already sustained enough damage that it didn't respond as quickly as it used to, and Rass felt like apologizing for each sluggish response to his father's commands. The silver fox it was not, but Elias made no comment and focused on the task at hand. One of the larger gunships dropped low to engage the wind merchants, lining up to release a salvo. No guns on this thing, huh? Elias asked. Mom wouldn't even let you have one. I thought I'd ask, Elias said. I need you to man the anchor. The shots rang out from the gunship as Elias pulled back on the throttle. One of the shots clipped the nose of the brass fox. You need me alive, remember? Rash shouted at the gunship as he ran over to the anchor crank. When I say, release it, Elias shouted, pulling back hard on the fragmented wheel. The brass fox rose above the larger gunship, overtaking its sluggish opponent. Now. Rass threw the lever, dropping the anchor onto the front of the balloon. With a shudder, the brass fox pulled back as its anchor raked across the canvas from bow to aft, forcing the gunship to dive under its own weight. The gunship's engines attempted to overcompensate for the lack of lift, only slamming the ship harder into the ground. The impact ripped up the cracked soil, leaving a scar in its wake. The anchor caught on the metal frame of the gunship and jerked the brass fox down until the chain snapped. Where did you learn that? Rass called back. I just made it up. Elias laughed manically, then noticed the second gunship taking a ranged approach. Got any other tricks? Get above that one, Rash shouted as he ran down to the hold entrance. The dark room chimed with every twist and turn as the shattered glass sloshed around the belly of the airship. He descended the ladder and carefully gained a foothold amidst the shards. Tiptoeing and nearly falling with every evasive dip, dodge, and juke of his ship, he managed to extract a large wrench that clung to the magnetized tool bench. He heard his father call from above. Better hurry. We're above him, but not for long. Rass hauled himself back up to the deck and loaded a spike onto the grapple gun. Motioning with a wrench, he said, After I rip the balloon, buzz back and I'll grapple back. In a fluid motion, he attempted to swing his wrench into his holster, but missed. The heroic moment evaporated, and Rass appreciated his father's missing of the botched attempt. He slid the wrench into the holster with a bit more care. Elias smiled. Good idea.
It was a relatively safe plan, which was what Rass assumed his father particularly liked about it. It kept Rass out of the line of fire, and even if it didn't succeed in ripping the gunship's balloon, he had an exit strategy. The brass fox slipped into a hard turn to port, and Rass held himself upright by the rope rigging, looking down at the gunship. He lined up a shot and ripped through the airship's generous balloon to connect, but a quick bump in the brass fox's altitude yanked Rass overboard. The fall wasn't far, but Rass wasn't entirely certain he wouldn't have passed out from the height in his verdant days. He plummeted, reeling in cable so he wouldn't fall beneath the body of the gunship after sliding from the envelope. He hit the canvas atop the airship, bouncing a bit before pulling himself back to the puncture point by the cable. Unholstering the wrench with his right hand, he swung down to rip the canvas below, opening a big enough hole to the envelope to see inside. He loaded up another charge and fired off the spike grapple again, targeting the forward valinet. The spike pierced the bladder, then continued onward to strike the deck below. Let's see you climb without that, Rass said, chuckling at his clever little plan. Shouts of collective crew erupted, and before Rass could cut his cable and his losses, he was pulled arm first through the balloon. Bouncing off the bladder of the faltering forward ballonet, he threaded through the puncture like a large needle. Falling inside the energy-filled ballonet was an easy way for an act to die, and Rass always wondered what its innards looked like. The bland interior left his childhood curiosity sated, yet disappointed as he fumbled for the cable disengaging mechanism. Another heave from below caused him to once again follow his arm through the puncture to the deck. What concerned Rass more than nearly falling onto his own spike were the half-dozen collective midshipmen he fell onto before landing awkwardly onto the deck. They grinned over their prize of a saboteur. Hi, Rass said in a groan from the fall. For a moment he wished he had prepared something witty, but in hindsight he appreciated that the swift kick to his midsection he promptly received would probably have been far worse if he had done something along the lines of insulting one of their mothers. It's the lack, one of the men called up to the officer on deck. The idiot came to us. Then who's flying his ship? Another man asked. Doesn't matter. His ship doesn't have guns, right? A rat-tat-tat issued from above, lending uncertainty to that assumption. Small cannonballs ripped through the gunship's balloon, impacting onto the deck and sending the crew running for anywhere they assumed wasn't about to receive a projectile. Rass balled himself up to lower his profile and reeled in the cabling as quickly as possible while loading up one of the magnetic charges. He knew the sound of an elder fighter's weaponry, and it sounded like his ticket to the elder fleet. He scrambled over to the railing and scanned the skies for the fighter when he heard the click of a musket hammer being pulled back behind him. If we're going down, you're going down with us. Rass slowly lifted his arms to the sky and turned around to see two men with their rifles mounted. What? he asked. It's not like I've got anywhere to go. We know how that grappler works. We ain't dumb, said one of the crew members, oblivious to the elder fighter lining up with strafing run far behind them. I'm not saying you aren't, but if there's one thing you ain't, it's perceptive, Rest said, nodding to the rapidly approaching bogey. The gunship blared its cannons and the elder ship spun in a corkscrew maneuver, lithely dodging in the incoming fire. Rass mouthed a countdown as the fighter approached a grappleable range with its cannons blazing. Four, three, two. It buzzed over the top of the balloon and Rass adjusted his already raised left arm, firing into the air where he expected the elder ship to pop out on the opposite side connection. Rass jerked away from the deck, his grudge alerting his former captors. They spun back around and fired inaccurately at the now-moving target. As Rass watched the collective gunship sink, the brass fox chased after the elder ship but was absolutely outclassed. The nosedive of the fighter cut short any of Rass's mental celebrations for being on the path to find Callie. No! What are you doing? Rass shouted into the howling wind. No! Up! Up! Deaf to Rass's instructions, the pilot continued his descent slowing his ship's speed. Rass found a small amount of solace in the idea that the brass fox now stood a chance to catch up, and that if he had to face an elder, he wouldn't have to do so alone. Rass touched the ground first, and he quickly cut the cable before the ship could drag him along. He loaded up a magnetic grapple charge as the fighter landed and wheeled around in a semicircle to face him. The cockpit hatch popped open and a large machine man exited. He stood at least seven feet tall and kept a constant gait toward Rass, who aimed his grapple gun as menacingly as possible. Drop your weapon, the machine commanded in a low tone. 
So you can beat me to death? Rass asked, letting the machine get a bit closer so he wouldn't need to aim quite as much. He glanced. The brass fox flew toward him, but it looked like the elder would reach him before Elias. I'm... I'm warning you. This thing is electrified. It, you really don't want that, he said. Without giving the machine a chance to respond, Rass squeezed the hand trigger and the magnet flew at its intended target, clipping the top of the elder's head. But the metal hunk stuck. In an attempt to throw his opponent off balance, Rass flung himself backward with a taut cable. Rass expected to feel a tug instead of falling straight to the cracked ground with a cloud of dust. What have you done? A man's voice called out in a decidedly non-robotic tone. The head lay on the ground between Rass and the elder, revealing a familiar face. Carter? Rass asked. What are you- Stand back. Alorians can't be this low. Uh, he screamed, falling to his knees. His eyes glowed purple before he froze into place. The brass fox finally caught up with the gangplank already lowered. Hurry up! Get in! Elias said. Rass noted that Carter's bubble didn't extend far enough to encompass the brass fox or Elias. It's all right. I got this. Be careful. I'll be right back. Rass said. He strode up to the helmet while spooling in the cable before cutting it, leaving the magnet and small clip of cabling sitting atop the metal headpiece like a tiny hat. Scooping it up, he placed it over his head and turned back to his father. How do I look? Like the stuff of nightmares? Elias asked uncertainly. Rass walked up to Carter and placed his hand on the Elorian's neck. After a moment, Carter's frame loosened up and he jerked to look at Rass. He grabbed the helmet from Rass's head and slid it quickly over his, sealing it into place. What? How did you... I thought I was gone. The mechanical voice said with more relief than Rass thought possible from a giant robot. I'm full of surprises, Rass said, smiling. Well, one surprise that I keep having to use again and again. You reclaim me. Re-what now? asked Rass. You're the reclaimer. I like the sound of that a lot better than the lack. Elias called out from the bow with the brass fox. Rass, do you know an elder? I'm not a true elder, said Carter. My great-grandfather was. This was his suit. The elders were only around during the war with the outsiders, or frozen in cities, waiting to be saved by the reclaimer, he said. This is perfect. Hold on now. I'm just trying to find Callie. Yes, Callie. His tone turned grave. You must come with me, now. You know where she is? I'm afraid I do. She's being used as the last weapon against the outsiders, and it's going to kill her. Carter looked back at Elias. Your brother is welcome to come. Inside the enclosed cockpit, three of the four seats were occupied. Carter looked like the parent, escorting the two undersized children who filled half of their seats. Rass's eyes were fixed on the scene ahead. Two fleets hung motionless at different altitudes. Even from here, their intentions were obvious. They were engaged in silent negotiation, each one underbidding the other in an effort not to go down in history as the instigator of the second clockwork war. I don't understand how you're flying this thing, Elias said. There's barely any energy out here. Carter huffed in amusement. Our engines don't run on energy, he said. The friction of time is sufficient. How can she be used as a weapon? All she can do is freeze the area around her, Rass said. Maybe the rest of the Elorian fleet wants to be preserved to prevent a war, offered Elias. Hardly, Carter scoffed. We would never let the outsiders have the time origin. It's an elder's sacred duty to protect it at all costs. All right, but how does Cali? Rass stopped as the two fleets off in the distance suddenly launched their opening volleys. Tiny flecks of fighters poured in from either side, and the advantage definitely went to the elders on that front. But when it came to the capital ships, the collective mixed with Bravo Company heavily outnumbered the last Elorian battalion. If Cali is the weapon that will save Eloria, why are you bringing us to her? Rass asked. The Elder Council voted unanimously against using any form of time against our adversaries in the last war, even at the cost of losing, Carter said. The Outsiders shut us in, secluding us with time and preserving our cities until someone like you could unfreeze our people. That's the deal, then? You trade Cali for me unfreezing all of Valoria? Ras asked. 
No, that is your choice and yours alone, Carter said. However, I would mention that Fleet Commander Archer would be far more likely to offer up his only weapon in exchange for freeing his long-frozen countrymen to aid him in battle. But it is his choice, Elias said as though there were still an option. The outsiders have finally opened the main gate, letting time once again spill out to the rest of the world instead of bottling up here. But it will not thin the air nearly enough for the conduits to be reclaimed. I reclaimed you, so are you a conduit, Carter? Ras asked. Every Elorian is to one degree or another when brought too close to the time origin, but Kali is a true conduit, sensitive enough to be set off to power that weapon, Carter said. Ras looked about the Elder Fleet. There were no obvious leading ships. How do we know which one she's on? A collective frigate shot a green beam at one of the Elder's larger vessels, disintegrating a quarter of it, and it began to falter. What an atmo, Elias exclaimed. We must hurry, Carter said. Every elder ship simultaneously launched its volley back at the collective's fleet. The beam-firing frigate received only one of the dozens of cannonballs. The ball impacted on the surface, then stuck. The frigate halted immediately, along with a couple nearby biplanes. They're using it, Carter said. I don't think she'll be able to handle too many uses. By now they had entered the radius of the battle. The initial beam strike from the frigate had been merely a warning to the Elorian fleet, but since the Elders had something that posed a true threat, the collective's full assault began. Beams filled the sky, decimating Elder fighters and airships alike. Several Elorian ships huddled around one ship in particular, providing cover as another set of volleys froze a cluster of smaller collective ships. There, is she on that one? Ras asked. No, the cluster is a decoy, Carter said, pulling back on the fighter's controls. Commander Archer needs a higher vantage point. She's with him. Carter pointed up at the lone ship that launched another set of shots. The resulting impact froze a pair of gunships. It was difficult to tell whose side the tide of the battle favored. The Elder Fleet swarmed to provide moving targets for their opponents' one-shot kill weapons, while much of the collective fleet hung completely still or rocked back and forth, their weapons recharging. The only telltale sign were the frozen cannonballs and fighters stopped outside the freeze radius. Their numbers hadn't thinned visibly, but they were far from full strength. Carter's fighter flew toward the flagship as he brought the comm unit to his mouth. He spoke in Elorian. A female voice squawked back through the comm unit. They won't let us land, Carter said. I'll tell them I have the reclaimer on board. He spoke once more into the transmitter. The woman's voice was joined by a gruff, curt man's voice. Carter responded adamantly. A pause. What's he saying? Elias asked. He says that if I have the reclaimer, then I should be flying to our capital city. Not without Callie, Rass said. Can you ask about her? Carter spoke again, then received a response. He says she's not doing well. Rass slammed the dash. Tell him I won't reclaim anything unless a bright beam penetrated the flagship.